All right, good morning, men. Am I good? Everybody hear me all right? Yeah? Hear me here? Okay. Oh, yeah. We didn't put you in. I'll put you back in here. Okay. Um, so, welcome. Uh, my name is Brandon Hart. I'll be leading you uh, this morning. So, you got, the, you got the JV team today. So, if you invited a guy for the first time, make sure you come back uh, next time when Paul's leading. Uh, I'm going to ask Sam Kennedy to start us in prayer this morning. Thank you, Sam. Uh, so the technical stuff first. Uh, Sign-up sheet is out front. And so if you haven't signed up, make sure you do that today. Should have a half-sheet handout to go along with what we're going to talk about today. So make sure you got that. And make sure you thank the breakfast crew uh, when we go to eat breakfast this morning. If it's your first time or you're a regular comer... Um, I think it's good to refocus on, you know, why, why do we come here at 6.30 every other Friday? So what is the purpose of this Iron Leadership Group? And it's to act like men by equipping men to be better leaders in your own personal lives. And so think about what that means uh, for you. What does it mean to equip? And so today we're going to talk about equipping you, uh, recognizing uh, an enemy that every single one of you face, and then what do we need to do to battle that enemy? And so that's what it means to equip. So at our previous Iron Leadership lesson, uh, or for this year, Paul's been talking about strengthening your inner selves. And so at the previous meeting we had, he talked about uh, Titus. And there was one pretty clear theme from Titus. And so I'd like you to turn there now, uh, either in the Bible that uh, should be in front of you or if you brought your own Bible or on your phone, Titus chapter 2. If you're using uh, one of the blue Bibles that we have here, that is on page 998. And so Titus, very short book, um, but has a theme here in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2 only has 15 verses. In the first 11 verses, it uses this one word four times, so you can't help but see this theme of self-control. So verse 2, older men, be self-controlled. If you jump down to verse 5, what does it say about older women? Older women, be self-controlled. Verse 6, young men, what does it say for young men? Be self-controlled. Uh, if you go on down, in case you missed anything, down at verse 11, he gives a little summary. Hey, in case you didn't read the first few verses here, let me give you a quick summary. Be self-controlled. The theme here is clear. We need self-control, especially uh, men. And this scripture is especially helpful as we look at today's topic. 
Uh, and if you think you can fight this one alone, let me give you a little bit of history. So this topic we're going to talk about today took down three of the most polarizing figures in the Bible. Samson, known as the strongest man in the Bible. Solomon, known as the wisest man in the Bible. And David, known as uh, the man after God's own heart. And so this topic we're going to talk about today is especially tough one for men. It's lust. So let me start by saying, what is lust? Um, there we go. Lust is a strong desire, literally means over-desire. It pulls your heart to need to have something, no matter what God says or what the cost is to other people. Now, why is this so tough for uh, men and not so much women? Well, here's, here's an example. Silly example, but very true example. Guys, when we ride down the road and we see a billboard like this, our mind's going to one thing, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Women don't tend to have that problem. And trust, I've talked to my wife about this. She doesn't understand how <laughs> our minds go to one thing uh, when there's a woman sees this and just sees mommy makeover but we're seeing something else. Here's another example. And this one says it clear as day. In case you don't see the pretty young lady on the side, the name of this place, Sin City. (laughs) So we've got some examples there uh, of lust. Now understand, lust does not have just just have to be sexual. That's what I'm going to focus on today just because I have some personal experience that I can share with you. But understand lust does not have to just be sexual. You can lust for money, promotion, acceptance, finishing first place in a fortnight battle. The list goes on. But today's focus will be on guarding yourselves against sexual immorality. Again, I'm focusing on this because I can speak from personal experience about the negative effect it can have on you, and you don't even realize it. That's the scary part about lust. So a quick story from my teenage years. Uh, Wonderful parents. I'm an only child. Parents were always there for me. They made a lot of very good decisions to help me grow uh, into a young man. One decision, though, they made was not a very good one that I learned from. So we live in a two-story house. Uh, My parents' bedroom's downstairs. My bedroom's upstairs. Again, I'm an only child. I'm upstairs all by myself, lots, lots of the time. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and so when I was in high school, we got our first computer, and the internet had just come out at that point. So again, let me remind you, I'm upstairs, only child, by myself most of the time, and I've got a curious mind and unlimited access. So in case you're not sure about what I'm talking about here, uh, what turned into just curious mind looking at stuff on the internet turned into hours, days, weeks, months, years of not just wanting to look, but having to look. I craved it. I lusted for it. And didn't even realize it till years had passed. Thought, yeah, it's, just, it's not a big deal. It's just looking at stuff on a computer. But the problem with pornography 
is it leads to this mindset here. Now, anytime I get a chance to insert an episode of Friends, I will do this. My favorite uh, show of, of my wife and I. Uh, we've seen all 10 seasons. We watch it regularly. I know it all word for word. So here's, here's a clip from Friends. And the episode here that we're going to watch, just in part, uh, Joey and Chandler, if you're not familiar with them, just two guys living together. And they're flipping through the channels one day, and they notice they have free porn on the TV. And it leads to this. Hey. Hey. I was just at the bank, and there was this really hot teller, and she didn't ask me to go do it with her in the vault. (laughs) Same kind of thing happened to me. Woman pizza delivery guy comes over. Gives me the pizza, takes the money, and leaves. What, no, like, nice apartment? Bet the bedrooms are huge? (laughs) nothing! You know what? We have to turn off the porn. I think you're right. All right, ready? One, two, three. Three. That's kind of nice. Yeah, that's kind of a relief. You want to see if we still have it? Yeah. <laughs> free guy, we have a free guy. So again, funny, but very true, because that's what it leads to. Uh, what starts out as just free porn, which Chandler and Joey, is, to them, is like winning the lottery. Uh, it seems hard and harmless, but it leads to a distorted view of how we think of women, and also how we think women look at us. Think, it, think about what Chandler said. He just goes into the bank, he sees a hot teller, and he's confused about why she doesn't want to have sex with him. That's what pornography does to you and to your mind. Gives you this distorted view of of how we should treat uh, women. Again, hilarious example here, but it's a perfect example of this creating of this lustful heart. So again, what is lust? Strong desire, pulling your heart to need to have something. I like this part. No matter what God says, you need it. No matter what God says or what the cost is to other people. So my first question to you is, what is it that you feel you need today? To be fulfilled, to be blessed. Is that need connected to something in your heart that is running wild? What are you lusting after? Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a good quote about lust. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge our love of fame and power, or greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with a forgetfulness of God. So as we discuss lust today, we're going to look at it from three different angles. We're going to look at it uh, from the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon. We'll see what he has to say about lust. Uh, We're going to see what Jesus says about it, and then we're going to look at the destruction of lust uh, with the story of David and Bathsheba. 
So we're going to turn to First Proverbs 7. And so these are the words of Solomon. And just follow along with me as I read Proverbs chapter 7. Title of this, Warning Against the Adulteress. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among them the simple. I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness." And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings. Colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an, axe goes to the, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till, till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So these are the words of the wisest man. Had everything. Let's take a few moments and unpack the words from Solomon. I want you to focus on verse 26 for a moment. Verse 26 says, For many a victim she has laid low. I'm finishing a book right now with a group of friends uh, called The Enemy Within, and in there is a section on lust. And here is uh, what the author says that goes right along with Proverbs 7 about lust. The loose woman promises secret pleasures without fear of discovery, but her rose-strong bed is your lily-covered grave. Ouch. Verse 27 if you're like me, you, kinda, you, you come across these words, you hear them every now and then, like Sheol. I've, I've heard that. I had no idea what it, what it means. I'm like, well, if I'm presenting this stuff today, I better look up and just see what, what that is. So I looked it up. And so I found one commentary that says this about Sheol. Sheol was thought to be down in the lowest parts of the earth. 
Sheol is devoid of love, hate, envy, work, thought, knowledge, and wisdom. There's no light, no remembrance, no praise of God. In fact, no sound at all. Its inhabitants are weak, trembling shades who can never hope to escape from its gates. Sheol is like a ravenous beast that swallows the living. So bottom line here, uh, summary from Solomon, lust will lead to death. Let's turn now and take a look at what Jesus says. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And so as you're turning there, uh, there's three points that if you, you know, read a little more in depth here about what Jesus says, this is what you'd want to pick up on. And I'm, I'm stealing from uh, Sam's sermon on this. So Sam, you're going to hear a lot of things you've heard before. One thing Jesus wants you to see here is your sin is both more deeply widespread and more deeply rooted than you think. And that really hits home with me. When I think back, of, you know, preparing for this and thinking about me as a teenager, even into my 20s, and finally it hit of how deeply rooted my sin was. I didn't even realize it. And it's crazy to think it, it went on for 10, more than 10 years. Sexual sin is serious. And then uh, in order to fight lust in all its forms, remember, this doesn't have to just be a sexual thing. Lust in all its forms you're going to need the strength that Christ provides. So let's look at, again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Uh, we were here recently talking about anger. So important to Jesus. He talks about anger, right after that comes lust. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. So let's take a look here at what Jesus is saying. Looking is the same as adultery, really? I mean, come on, Jesus. Looking is the same as actually acting on it? That can't be right. And we don't want that to be right. Right? We don't want that to be right. But we all know it's true. We all know exactly what Jesus is saying is true. The reason that a look of lust is the same as an act of adultery, and hear this, they both spring from a heart that wants to take something and doesn't care what promises it has to break. The lustful heart wants what the lustful heart wants. And whether you're breaking a covenant with God for an action or just a thought, it really doesn't matter. The damage has been done. Okay, so we recognize that. Then what do we do? We're literally going to tear our eye out? You're going to cut your hand off? No. Uh, Jesus is not inviting you to mutilation. He's inviting you to mortification. Putting something to death. Putting sin to death means totally making a break from sinful practices. So my next question to you is, is there something you need to break, uh, make a break with today? Is there a place you go that tempts you to sin? Some activity that you need to end? A relationship that is coming between 
you and Jesus. Again, this is not about me, but I'll insert some couple of stories that I've lived over the last few years about just the power of this sexual temptation. So <clears throat> I'm about to turn 40 this year. Over the last I don't know, 10 years, I've had a lot of friends, a lot of guy friends get married. And I've been a part of their wedding. And so when you get invited to be a part of the wedding, you get invited on bachelor trips, bachelor parties. You all know what goes on on bachelor parties. And so the same things I used to do in my 20s, now that I'm claiming I'm a follower of God now, I can't do those things. I've given up the right to do that. And it was tough. I mean, one of my best friends got married not too long ago. And for the week prior to that, I'm, I'm talking with a friend. And I'm like, what, how do I say to my best friend, look, I can't, I can't be involved in this. I want to go and I want to be a part of this, but I don't want to be a part of that. And if you don't know what that I'm talking about, think of the Sin City billboard that was up earlier. That's what I'm talking about. And so a good friend of mine said, well, you need to talk to your wife about it. I like, you crazy? I'm not talking to her about that. You nuts? It's the best discussion my wife and I've ever had because it just opened up this talk of, first of all, she didn't understand, you know, well, why is it a big deal anyway? What are you going to do? You're going to go there and cheat on me? Like, no, that's not what it's about. But I just know I, I should not even be there. And so we talked, we talked. And, and again, best conversation we've had probably ever. And so I get in the car riding with my best friend. And thank the Lord, he looks at me without any talk. And it's killing me because I'm thinking the whole time, how am I going to say to this guy, look, Y'all do what you got to do. I, I'm going to have to hang out, uh, and I'll just wait on you to get back. And he says, hey, man, look, I, I don't know if you've been thinking about this or not, but, you know, we're not, we're not getting involved in that. I just want to hang out with the buddies. And you want to talk about a relief. I mean, I don't know if that was because, you know, somebody else was praying for me. I'll be, I wasn't praying about it. I was talking about it, but I wasn't saying, hey, God, give me the strength to talk to my friend about it. And maybe somebody else was praying for me about it. Now, that's a good example. Now, unfortunately, that since that's happened, I've been a part of another wedding, a whole scenario again. And this should have been easier on me because these weren't as close of friends of mine. So it should have been like, look, I don't even know y'all that well, but I'm here. Look, I'm, look, I can't be doing this. And I don't know what that was, whether I didn't talk about it. I didn't pray about it, whatever, but sexual temptation led me to a spot I didn't want to be. And immediately when I walked through the doors, I was like, what am I doing here? How did, how did this just happen? How, how am I in this spot? So you got to have a plan. I, I was lucky the first time around, I had a plan. Second time came around, I didn't have a plan. And Satan, Satan took advantage of me. Finally, let's, let's look at that destructive power. We're going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here we go. Now, luckily, that second story where I'm, I'm at a spot I didn't want to be, there was no destruction after that. Thank the Lord. Because I immediately recognize I'm in a spot, look, I can't be here. 
not just because I'm a follower of Christ, but I, I just can't be here. This is ridiculous. What am I doing here? David, unfortunately, felt the destructive power of lust. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 2. This is the story of David, again, a man after God's own heart. Uh, at this point in the story, I mean, David is just, he's crushing it. He is the main man. He could have whatever he wanted. And at this point, he knows that and he takes whatever he wanted. Starts in verse 2. And you really only have to read the first five words. It happened late one afternoon. Okay. I know exactly where that's leading. I know exactly where that's leading. Now, I don't work at a job where I'm up late at night on a business trip, you know, at a hotel by myself, but I could, I could see that. Oh, it was late one night, hotel all by myself. I'm, I'm at a bar, pretty lady walks up. Hey, where are you from? You can see, you know where this is going. It happened late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. Again, we could stop. We don't have to read anything else. You know what's about to go down. This is the billboard. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived... And she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Now that's how quick it is. That's how quick and destructive it can be. He saw something he he wanted. It didn't matter what God said. It didn't matter the cost to anybody else. His lustful heart, he had to have it. And it's quick. I mean, it's just a few verses. He saw her, he took her, and then she's pregnant. Go down to the end of chapter 2, the very last word there, Uh, and this is after David's tried to cover all this up. He's like, okay, well, you know, and you can read this story. If you're not familiar with the story, go back and read it later, because this is what a guy would do, try to cover everything up. Nobody will find out. I'll cover this up. Nobody's going to find out. I'm away from home on a business trip. Nobody can find out, Okay. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So again, back to that definition of lust. A strong desire, pulling your heart to need to have something, no matter what God says or what the cost is to other people. David had to have something. Didn't care what God said or the cost to other people. David needed that self-control lesson from a couple of weeks ago. So if you're wondering how all that ties in, or if you missed last time self-control talk, you might want to go back and find that one online and, and read that one. My final question to you is, what can you implement at that moment? And so what do I mean by that moment? Well, what we've just been talking about. When that moment arises, and you know the right thing to do, but that lustful heart's pulling you in, in some other direction, what can you implement at that moment? What's your game plan? You better have a game plan. It needs to be this. 
So here comes, this is going to be a clip from a movie, A Time to Kill. Only reason I've got this clip over Christmas break, the movie happened to be on, I was up. I was like, oh, I've seen that movie before. Love it. And you might be like, geez, I've seen that movie. How does this factor into this talk at all? Okay, because if you know what the movie's about, it's Mississippi, uh, Matthew McConaughey, he's a lawyer, he's a white lawyer, he's defending a black man who murdered two white people who raped his daughter, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great movie, but it's, I mean, watching it again, is like, wow, this is, this is a tough one to watch. But the reason I picked it is because at that point in time, Paul had asked me to lead this. I knew I was going to be talking about lust. And then here comes this, you know, clip. Uh, Sandra Bullock comes on and starts working with Matthew McConaughey. He can't handle it on his own. And this, this case has taken a toll on him and his family. His wife has left him. He's starting to drink. He's exiting the courthouse right prior to this clip. And a soldier that's walking with him because this big time race problems gets shot and killed right beside him. So, I mean, dude, emotions are, he is, he's struggling right now. He's not in a good place. And so just watch this clip here. Some stranger, somebody's husband, somebody's son, put himself in harm's way for me. When I saw that blood, I got so scared because I thought that was you. That better be your game plan, okay? And don't kid yourself thinking that he wasn't lusting after that, okay? Don't kid yourself. Again, what's your game plan? I want you to stay. That's what he, yeah, I want you to stay, so you better go. What do you need to make a break from? When you catch yourself lusting after something, what's your plan? What's your game plan against lust? How are you going to show self-control? Uh, so at this point, we usually split into groups of three to four and take about 10 or 15 minutes to discuss the three questions uh, from today. Ready? Break.